0: Back in the very early 70s, when my crew was in high school, we used to hunt around one of the lakes that was owned by the city, but, back then, outside of the city limits, Raleigh, North Carolina. One of my best friends, who lived by the lake went hunting following the path that went around the lake. He encountered a gentleman who was buck naked plucking a dead chicken hanging from a string by its neck from a tree branch. They were both startled and the guy said to my buddy, seen enough Well, my friend moved back into the woods and went home when he told me about it we went back to the site of the encounter and sure enough there were chicken feathers littering the ground seems like a voodoo ritual to me while walking back from an evening bow hunt i had about a mile walk through the swamps here in louisiana while walking with a small flashlight I started to hear something following in the leaves behind me. I stopped, spun around, and it stopped. I start and it started. I again looked with a small light and couldn't see anything. I start to hear coyotes and in my mind I'm thinking I'm being stalked. I take my large flashlight out and scan the woods. The closer I get to the truck, the faster I walk, and the faster the sound gets as well. By the time I get to the edge of the wood line I'm almost in a full sprint. Alone and armed only with my bow as I clear the woods, the noise stops. I sling my stand off my shoulders and grab my 9 millimeters out of my truck and get ready for whatever is about to clear the woods. 5 minutes pass and nothing happens. As I load my stand into my truck, I notice that the rope I used to pull my bow up had got untied and was dragging in the leaves behind me. I can't explain this, but we were hunting 25 years ago and we found a white-tailed deer frozen into a river by his feet. Where it gets weird is this animal was cut in half. His rear end was missing but it was how clean the cut was. It had looked like it was done with a band saw. Also the animal had been gutted like it was cleaned out with an ice cream scoop. Completely cleaned. No blood trail no guts. Just a half a deer frozen in the ice eyes wide open. Missing its entire backside. I've got no explanation for this and I really don't even want to think about this anymore as we still can't fathom what happened. When I was a freshman in college in 1991, WVU, let's go Mountaineers always had Thanksgiving break during opening week of rifle season in West Virginia. I had traveled the three hour trip home to hunt with my stepdad for opening morning. A few years previous to this deer season, my stepdad had undergone bypass surgery. So the amount of physical activity he was permitted by his doctor was somewhat limited. We were hunting at the bottom of a long hill, which was about 200 yards to the creek from our truck. I left my stepdad at the bottom of the hill and proceeded around the ridge to my stand. It wasn't long after daybreak that I heard the report of his rifle, so I gathered my things and headed back in his direction. When I got to his stand, I found my stepdad in the creek with a nice eight pints he had just finished field dressing it and was tying the drag rope around the antlers. Knowing he shouldn't be... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. I told him to carry the guns and i would drag the buck up the long hill to the truck this is where the story gets interesting the bank coming out of the creek was very steep for the first 10 to 15 feet or so it had rained earlier that week and the bank was plenty muddy as you can imagine i took one step forward and slid three steps back getting frustrated I told my stepdad that I was going to throw the buck over my shoulder to carry it the short distance out of the creek, and then I would lay it down and drag it the rest of the way to the truck. I had my stepdad hold the deer waist high and I bent over to sling the deer up on my shoulder. Straining, I finally stood upright with the deer. You guessed it, my head went fully inside the carcass. The problem now was that I was so tired that I couldn't lift it off. I had to bend over and let it slide off of my head. Needless to say, my head and face was covered with blood and whatever else remained in the deer after field dressing. I hadn't eaten breakfast that morning, so now I am running around in circles gagging, trying to barf, but my stomach was totally empty. As you can imagine, my stepdad was quite amused by this. Way to go college boy, I think was the phrase he used. Needless to say, I finally managed to get the deer to the top of the hill. By this time, I am exhausted lying beside the truck, still covered in blood from the deer. A gentleman from the power company happened to be driving by as I lay on the ground trying to catch my breath. He slammed on his brakes and ran his truck in the ditch. He jumped out and said, oh my god, what can I do? He thought I had been shot. He and my stepdad both got a good laugh at my expense once he realized the only thing hurt was my pride. I suppose on the bright side, I did get a heck of a story to tell. And believe me, the inside of a dead deer is nowhere you want to stick your head anytime soon. My property is pretty old. We bought it from an old couple who gave up on it after a tornado destroyed the silos, barns, and a couple sheds. We've spent years fixing it back up but only one of the barns got rebuilt, the other is still collapsed. The shed is worn down and the door is blown out which makes it always scary walking by a dark shed with an empty opening. The silo fell over and is next to the shed, which is across from the two barns. All of this was on my walk to a deer stand in furthest field in the back of my property. I was a freshman in college at the time and hunted until it went dark. I left the stand and started quietly walking back. I always had an eerie feeling walking by the torn down barns, but at night it's always way worse. I forgot to mention there's an old well with a concrete slab on top of it, but the concrete siding had a hole. Always gave me the chills. As I was walking by the well and barns with everything super quiet, I all of a sudden jolted my eyes to the fence along the field by the shed. I had heard a chain-whipping sound and faint, giddy laughter. When I looked up I saw two men in prison gang garments, white and black striped suits, quickly galloping away from me, thank God, alongside the fence. Both were laughing and had chains on their hands and feet. I quickly fell to the ground and loaded my rifle in terror. I looked through my scope where I saw them running alongside last. It was the biggest field on our property so they had another 100 yards to go alongside the fence before they hit the woods but they were gone. I laid there searching for 10 long minutes before chalking it up to being sleep deprived from the morning hunt. I've never had experienced something so real, but I must have imagined it. Many years ago I was doing some early hunting in Montana, staying in a tent along the Dearborn River. One night I had to go outside to do something that required that my pants be around my ankles as I squatted. Anyway knowing there are rattlesnakes in the area I was careful to use a flashlight to get to the bushes, didn't see any snakes. Anyway I did the squat thing and about the time I squatted heard this rattling coming from immediately behind and below me needless to say i think i made a quarter mile in something like three steps with my pants still around my ankles to this day i don't know if it was a snake or seed pod on a bush that i brushed while squatting that was probably the worst scare i've ever had in the field been after wounded bear on my hands and knees with a pistol flew combat over sea but none of that scare the bejesus out of me like that rattling sound so close to my lineage makers last year the wife and i were having a nice walk in shenandoah national park the trail between matthew's arm and el Kuala wayside if anyone is curious and i hear this snap behind us there about 75 yards behind us is a pretty good sized black bear just standing there watching us so i pull out my whistle always carry a fox whistle in the back country and blow it really loudly and yell hey bear scat Get out of here while clapping my hands loudly. I think my wife, who'd never even seen a bear before, thought I was out of my mind, but Mr. Bear kinda ambled off in the other direction and we resumed our hike. But I looked back and there's the damned bear following us again. We'd stop and he'd stop, we start up and so does he. He never got closer than about 75 to 100 yards. But he followed us for a good half mile until we got close to the wayside, grocery store, gas station, etc. And then he ambled off in another direction. There was a ranger there fueling up his vehicle. And so I reported this behavior to them. His reply was, oh, that's Bruce. I'm afraid we might have to relocate him soon because he's starting to make a habit of following people hoping they'll drop food. Um, yeah, that's really comforting. last year opening day of deer season my nine-year-old and i were sitting in our pop-up it was still dark we were on the side of a hill near the top looking down into a drw with a spring fed creek running through it across from us was the hill going up probably 200 yards hard woods a few pine and small cedar anyway at some point we are both sort of staring into the darkness waiting for first light when we both see the following Two brightly lit balls sort of bouncing slash floating down the other side of the draw towards the creek. Appeared to be on the ground moving through the trees. One was bright red like a tail light. The other bright green like neon green. Appeared to be about the size on a basketball but our depth perception was a bit off due to it still being too dark to see. This lasted about five seconds and disappeared. No noise or sound. We finished the hunt with no other incidents. There was no sign or evidence anything had happened. I just to not know what it was. Very strange. <coughs> a few years ago, I was traveling in northern India with my girlfriend at the time. Being young and stupid, we decided to hike up a nearby mountain without really doing any research on the area or how long it would take. It was an amazing hike. We met locals along the way, who gave us chai tea, climbed up through thick misty cloud forest, and were even joined by a friendly stray dog who traveled with us until we reached the top, which was like a kind of grassy plateau. There were a few other tourists spaced out in tents, some other cute stray dogs, classic India, and a local guy who was serving food. Now, thank for this local guy, Because we didn't have a tent and it was dark, we foolishly thought we could hike back in the same day. Anyway, we borrow this guy's spare tent, it was a one-person tent, so super tight for two, and make camp 30 meters away from everyone to have privacy. We were asleep for maybe an hour, then suddenly awoke to this really low, deep, growl, right at my face. It was a stray dog outside the tent. Then more growls, at our feet. We were surrounded by these strays that only hours before we were playing with happily. Every single noise or slight movement we made in this tiny tent would be met with deafening barking, more growling, and you could see faint shadows through the fabric. Some of the dogs were even leaning against the tent, testing it. I punched a few through the fabric to scare them, but nothing worked. We ended up not saying a word, my GF was crying silently, Holding our breath for fear of provoking them, and staying perfectly still the whole night. It was terrifying, we knew we would be killed by them. When the sun came up, we couldn't hear anything. After listening for ages, I manned up and took a peek outside the tent, no dogs to be seen. I crawled out on my hands and knees and suddenly, a dog came running up to my face and started licking me. It was friendly as it was yesterday. I walked up to the local guy who gave us the tent to tell him what a mess night we had and these dogs are crazy. He goes, and I'll never forget his face, oh, they were protecting you. There are snow leopards and sloth bears up here that have been known to kill locals every now and then. I went back to the tent and sure enough, there amongst the dog paw prints were what looked like something much bigger. By far the most scared I've ever been in my life. I owned a cabin one time back in the mountains, and my brothers and a friend were staying with me during the deer season. We were all in the bed, and it was pitch black. I heard my friend go out the back door to the outhouse. Knowing he was scared of the dark I went out the front door, sneaked my way around to the back corner and felt on the ground for a rock. I found a big one, almost the size of my fist. With no light I was just guessing where the outhouse was and sent my rock flying. I was aiming to hit the side and scare him. Well, lo and behold I forgot that in the top left corner, right above the seat is a little window about six inches square. Wouldn't you know it, I hit that window dead on. I heard the glass break, uttered, uh, oh. And high-tailed it back into the cabin, jumped into the bed and pretended to be asleep. I didn't want him to know I did it. Well, I waited for quite a while and he didn't show up. So I went to the back door and looked out. Nothing. I called out to him. No answer. So I got a flashlight and creeped out to the building. There was a big crack in the door, not his, and I shined the light in on him. There he was slumped down on the pot with his pants down around his ankles knocked out colder than a cucumber. I had nailed him right in the head through that window. He came to shortly and we got him inside. I figured he had a concussion, but he wouldn't go to the doctor. He never seemed any crazier than he had before, so I guess he was okay. I sure felt bad about it though. An unbelievable story about a buck. I've been told a few big buck stories in my life that may or may not have been totally true. Usually everyone has their own version of the story and it isn't very often that two people will tell it the way it actually happened. In this case, I have a witness. My story unfolds outside the city limits of a small but populated Minnesota town at about 7 o'clock in the morning, and starts with a buck wounded by an arrow whose flight was not as perfect as I would have liked. As I let the arrow fly, I lost its trajectory but the sound of the hit was unmistakable. I was positive of the hit but unsure of the placement. When you hit a deer good with an arrow it makes a whack that is undeniable but hard to describe to a person who has never heard it. To a bow hunter, you could close your eyes. Imagine the hit, and hear that sound. I didn't hear that sound, but a slight variation of it. I knew there was a good chance I had made a bad shot, so with my heart sunk and my teeth clenched, I backed out and left the deer to his privacy. Maybe he would find a nice little hiding spot back in the woods where no one would see him and I could sneak up on him later, hopefully stiff as a board. I started the deer with a half dozen aluminum arrows that I'd cut to fit my bow, but previous encounters with different deer and the occasional nosy gray squirrel had left me with only two, The first of which was currently laying in a deer trail, half of it anyway. It laid soaked in blood, snapped in half by the buck as he passed a small oak. After a phone call to my older brother, who had the book on tracking wounded deer, we quickly drew a mental image of what must have happened. I figured the deer to be shot through the liver. It's a disgusting thing to live with as a bow hunter. Anything less than a perfect heart shot just doesn't sit well. Practicing with your bow all winter and into the summer seems to have been for no good reason. But when it happens, and it will, all you can do is hope you find the deer and make use of it as best you can. Another phone call was to a friend of mine. Actually it wasn't a phone call, more of a tap 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 on his window as he tried to sleep one off from the night before. His eyes opened like saucers and he popped right up from a dead sleep. It reminded me of when I was a kid, Christmas morning would come and someone would slip into the bedroom and whisper Santa was here, wake up. I may have said something like it's big, absolutely huge, or it looks like he has a broken rocking chair for antlers. I was pumped up over the encounter and my excitement quickly spread to him. Plans were quickly made. Time would work against the buck if the arrow had passed through the liver eight to twelve hours is about it. As the time slowly came to retrieve my buck we talked about the area that he had ran into. Wooded, privately owned, residential seems to be a fairly good description. We knew the buck would cross about a dozen little broke up parcels so I figured I should run home and change out of my hunting clothes and into something a little more appropriate for knocking on doors. The deer was headed in a straight line, cross-cutting many lotted-off sections of property. As we started the blood trail we quickly found deer beds with small amounts of blood spaced close to each other. We knew for sure now, the deer had been hit bad and couldn't get comfortable. We stayed on the blood trail, losing it and picking it back up again several times. I kept my eyes on the ground at my feet as my partner looked over my shoulder and scanned the area ahead for a dead deer. The woods came to life as the buck jumped up in front of us just like a rabbit that waits for you to darn near step on it. He was a dandy, maybe not quite the dandy that I had painted in my buddy's mind but a good buck by all means. The first guy we asked permission from had said it was okay to check his property, but we couldn't take the bow in there. He was worried we'd launch an arrow through his yard or make some other kind of unethical mistake. That was all right though, we understood. He didn't know us from Adam, and up until this point I was looking for a dead deer and I was shocked to see this animal running out of my life. I didn't even bring my bow, just a pocket knife for field dressing. My bow and last arrow were back at the truck now nearly a half mile away. We checked the bed that the buck had sprung from and verified that this was the wounded buck we had been searching for. Now the buck had changed his course and was heading for a 40-acre piece of county ground I knew well, so we headed back to the car for my bow. On the way back to the car my buddy told me that he saw the buck lift his antlers from the ground before he jumped out of the bed. At first, I thought he meant the deer had been laying flat with his chin on the ground, but no. After talking with him more about it he said the deer must have been laying there with one side of his head on the ground making himself as low as possible. I told him he must have been seeing things and I'd never seen a deer do that. When we came back to the spot where we had last seen the deer, my heart pounded in my throat as I watched the buck try to hide his rack by laying it down exactly like my faithful companion had told me. As I took aim with my last arrow the buck laid there with all his faith in whatever dear God he prayed to that morning and hoped for the best. Using my 10 yard pin, I carefully took aim, and with my last arrow, I let all my faith fly. It was an easy shot, I could shoot center rings all day long at 10 yards. The problem with my shot placement was this, instead of the deer being 10 yards from me, it was closer yet more like six or seven yards. This made my arrow hit high, grazing the buck and burying itself into a young popple tree inches above the bedded deer. When I shot, the deer leapt from his bed and ran past my arrow snapping it like a twig at the tip of the arrow behind the tip insert. Both of our hearts sank and my ever trusty pal tried to run down the buck in a last ditch effort to regain any sense of pride we had left. I asked him later what the heck he was thinking. I told him that a full-grown deer like that would absolutely kick the snot out of him, but he didn't seem to mind the idea of hand-to-hand combat at the time. I could hear brush cracking and snapping as the deer bolted through the forest with my buddy hot on his heels like some kind of starved caveman. It sounded like they were trying to make as much noise as possible, smashing or knocking over anything in their way. Soon the woods went quiet and the footsteps of my empty-handed co-hunter worked their way back to me where I sat next to the tree that I had killed moments before. As we talked, I went to work digging my broad head out of the tree with my pal standing over my shoulder. He made no effort to sugarcoat any feelings he had about my attempts at whittling on the tree. Things like I don't know why you're doing that and this is really stupid or what are you going to do when you get it out anyway? how long does it take to whittle a broad head out of a tree without breaking it or getting cut 45 minutes i timed it after freeing the broad head i unscrewed the insert the insert is what holds the threads on the broad head and is glued into the end of an aluminum arrow then i bent down and plucked a few strands of grass and wrapped them around the threads on the tail end of the broad head With the grass wrapped around the threads I worked the broad head into my broken arrow until it felt like it would stay there. My friend laughed at the finished product but we both agreed that it had to be better than a sharp stick or a club. After an hour of messing with the arrow and having a good laugh about it we were back on the trail. We followed the track through the woods and around a small pond and then up onto a ridge where it hit a main deer trail. As we walked through the brush I held my arrow pointed up at all times to keep the broadhead from being knocked loose. After a glance at the terrain and a quick trade of opinions on where the buck may be laying, we decided that we should split up. I would stay on the track and my club-wielding comrade would go around and try to turn the buck if he tried to escape our public ground. I waited for him to get around to the other side of the woods and when I felt that I had given him enough time I slowly moved in. I couldn't have taken more than 50 steps when I spotted the buck lying behind a downed tree. As I drew my bow I quickly realized that I could no longer pull the bow all the way back because the arrow that I had repaired was now an inch shorter and would fall off of the arrow rest. I made the proper mental notes and drew my bow. I don't know if the deer had used up all his luck for that day or if I was boiling over with it, but when I let go of the string my arrow flew perfectly. The buck jumped up after I shot him and turned to run straight toward me. As I moved to the side of the trail to let him pass I realized that he had heard my pal getting set up and he never even knew I was there. The buck only made it a few yards past me and fell over dead. I can't believe it's been so many years since this happened, because I can remember this like it was yesterday. When we were kids my dad took the whole family to do an overnight tenting trip on the next lake over from where our cabin was. The other lake was about a mile portage in, and had no road access. This lake was about as remote as you can get. That night, around dusk three drunk guys show up in a boat stating the tiny island we were camping on used to be theirs. They came and made small talk but they were creepy as f. I was maybe 10 or 12 and my dad just happened to be cutting wood when they pulled up. He didn't put the axe down for the rest of the night. In the end nothing happened, but I have no idea who they were or where they came from. I never tell this story because of how absolutely fake it sounds, but one time scared the heck out of me as a kid. I'm not a hunter, But when I was around 14 or 15, I went with my cousin and brother to go check out some land my cousin's friend's family bought to fish on. The land was a good few acres and located right next to their, very large, suburban neighborhood in Georgia. All you had to do was pull onto a curb in the neighborhood and take a small dirt path across a lake and after a small turn, the path ran about a mile in a straight line down the middle of the property to a larger lake. When we went, we took a golf cart since nobody wanted to walk and pulled onto the property. After taking the small left turn onto the main path, we all just froze. Walking towards us, at the opposite end of the path, there was a man with a jacket and ski mask on. We all saw him. He wasn't holding anything, he wasn't running, and he wasn't speaking. We stopped the golf cart but we couldn't turn around on the path since it was so thin and there was foliage to both sides of us. The person was still at least half a mile down the path, just walking, but we were all still terrified. Also it didn't help that the oldest in our group was 16 and the driver was 12. Despite being young, however, my cousin put the golf cart into reverse, which makes the loudest high-pitch whine ever, and reversed the entire quarter-mile pedal to the metal, which is still pathetically slow in an electric golf cart. When we told his parents, all of the adults came out with us and looked all over, as well as set up two plot watchers they had to see if they spotted anything. There was nothing on the cameras and they have still never seen anyone in those woods since then despite hunting there all the time. When I was about 19 I went duck hunting in flooded hardwood timber along the Wisconsin River. It was November at the time and it was about 15 F, 10 C, out. Most of the local lakes had frozen over so ducks were thick along this section of the river. I had a 12-foot boat and a 10-horse motor, which was perfect for getting around between the tree trunks, but I parked the boat in the trees and set my decoys out in a little clearing. The water amongst the trees is about two feet deep and it deepens to about three feet or so in the clearings. I'd finished setting up my decoys this morning at about 5am. It was split pea soup foggy and leaves were being blown across the water. I was standing about thigh deep in the water on the edge of the trees. Now bear in mind that it's dark. My eyes were adjusted enough that I could see faint outlines and that's about it. Suddenly about 45 minutes before dawn I noticed some large ripples in the water around my decoy spread. I got excited thinking that a duck I hadn't noticed had swum into my spread. However, the ripples started getting more agitated and suddenly started heading towards me very quickly. I started backing up as quickly as I could and trying to get my gun off my shoulder strap. I hit a log and sit down on it hard, almost going over backwards. The ripples suddenly turn into a splash and suddenly a huge ass otter has his front paws on my knees. His face about three inches from my own. He hisses at me and I thought I was about to get mauled. After what felt like an eternity of him staring me down he slips off me and circles the log a few times before joining what I could now see were four other otters about 20 feet away looking at this ordeal. After this fantastic occurrence, I sat on the log for about 20 minutes before pulling myself together and wading back to my hunting spot at the edge of the clearing. Went hunting with my cousins in Michigan once long time ago when I was 13. They lived there and went hunting quite often. My only vision of hunting was what I'd seen in PG-13 movies and the game Duck Hunt. We saw a deer and they told me to go ahead and take the shot. I did and hit him quite good. Or so I thought. When we got closer we saw that I hit him in the lower back. There was a lot of blood and he was in a lot of pain for the few seconds before my cousins put him down. Looked nothing like it did in the movies and that image stuck with me forever. It's not like I'm a vegetarian now or anything. But just seeing that was quite surreal and makes you take a hard long thought about animals and they pain the endure because of humans, not through hunting, but through farming and whatnot.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: We have around 200 acres of woodland. Me and my dad live on the front end of the property and on the back side of the property we have a rustic hunting cabin. No water or electricity. The back end of our property also sits on the edge of a state forest. You have to travel something like 12 miles before you reach any kind of road or trail. Several years back during deer hunting season my dad and I were sitting around the campfire back at our hunting cabin. It was near dusk and we were done hunting for the day just relaxing. We both saw something moving in the sky that caught our attention. A larger purple shape about the size of a small car was floating along just above the tree line. It was moving rather quickly. It came from the direction of the front end of our property, came towards us, went above our heads and continued back toward the state forest until it disappeared from sight. If I had to guess I would say it was moving about 15 miles per hour. It didn't look like a cloud but it didn't look quite solid either. We both saw it happen and just kind of remained silent for a minute and then confirmed that we both saw it. Neither of us had any good guesses as to what it could have been. Only thing I can come up with is swamp gas. But that's not a good explanation I don't think. That's my strange hunting story. It hasn't been enough to keep me out of the woods, but creepy all the same. Several years ago, shortly after I'd gotten into long distance cycling, I decided to ride from Seattle out to Iron Horse Park for an overnight camping trip. I'm poodling along the gravel path through forest on a day, unusually damp, gray and rainy for August and get the creepiest, most unsettling feeling. I pick up my pace looking carefully around at the impenetrable Pacific Northwest forest on either side, convinced I'm being stalked. If you've ever experienced these endless, dark forests of Douglas fir, Sitka spruce, ferns and moss, you know how dark, damp, and unsettling they can be. Luckily, the feeling passed after a bit and i finished the rest of the adventure without issue. Got back that weekend and decided to look up via Google Maps just how deep in the woods I was when I got that horrible feeling. And discovered to my embarrassment it was a thin band of trees on either side of the trail, just deep enough to block my views of massive cow pastures on either side. Edit: I should add the far creepier coda to this is that this past summer I traveled the same route at the start of a cross-country bike tour confidently riding through and laughing at my earlier skittishness. One week later I read another cyclist had been stalked and killed by a puma on that same trail. Okay this is when I was very young up in Oregon around a place called Crooked River Ranch, now mind you that this area it is not legal to hunt, and to top it off we were on the river, also a big no-no. Now when I say on the river I mean on the river. I am not talking on the river in a boat, skiff, or any other approved flotation device. As it happens we experienced one of the warmest hunting days in years and it was shorts and tank top weather, that's quite unusual for their any time, much less swimming weather. So we start off with the three of us heading out to the river, one of us had an eastern Oregon bow tag, the other another tag out of area. Now not one of us had a bow, or a legal tag between us but oh well says we. We were determined to get out deer, So as we head down to the river and start to climb in our boats and by this you must get a visual, one was a rubber ducky raft, no chit, one was a pool raft, the kind you blow up and lay on to get a tan, and the other was a kid's miniature dingy, also inflatable, that held barely one person. So off we go as we are climbing into the river with our rifles. There comes across a couple of the local residents who stop on the road on a bridge that we had just climbed down from to the river and yells down do you have to have a fishing license for that too? In a very sarcastic manner while laughing themselves silly. So begins our adventure. Well, Shortly after bouncing off a few rocks they flotation devices start losing air fast and we're going down a swift river and sinking rapidly. After the rubber ducky had given his life and sank to the depths below we then tried to grasp onto the larger raft while the tanning one was quickly giving up its life. Within minutes all the rafts had sunk and we were floating down the river holding our rifles above the water bouncing repeatedly off rocks and such as we go we quickly come to the conclusion that this is no way to hunt deer and need to find the high ground quick. There is a problem though, the banks of the river are lined with the thickest, most densely packed barbed brush you can think of. After a mile or so and getting tired of white water swimming we decided that we had to get out. So we climb out on a little place that had about a foot of bare ground and decide what to do just as we reach the bank my buddy who also happens to be blind in one eye decides he sees a spike and wants the meat boom goes the point .308 as we both will around and ask him he is shooting at and explain that he just winged a spike across the river the other two of us look at him in a very pod manner and say are you going to track that expletive thing through the death brush well you are now So we made him go track the deer across the river and after about 45 minutes or so he comes back and says he thinks he nicked it in the rear leg but there was no way to track it. We are quite unhappy as to him not placing his shot right but hey then again he is blind shooting off his weak side Sue, what are you going to do right? Now you have to realize that when he came back he looked like he got into a fight with a pack of badgers in a bad way. He was literally dripping blood. There were so many scratches and so much blood that he looked like he had been drugged behind a truck on asphalt and left for dead. He was darn near crying he was in so much pain and we decided at that point we needed to get him some medical attention. But first, we are on the river with about a 300 to 400 feet hike straight up the walls and have to transgress about a hundred feet of this death brush before we even get there. So by the time we even make it to the wall we have lost the majority of our clothes and are bloodied beyond belief. It now looks like we are escaped convicts that just left a mass murder. We somehow, still to this day I don't know how, managed to make up up the almost sheer rock walls to a plateau above. As we climb up on the top and sit to rest we look across an open alfalfa field and see what looks like about 200 head of deer, oh my god we say all at once. My buddy with the .308 looks through his scope and tried to isolate a buck, and after about 10 minutes says I'll be deformed there ain't a buck in the whole friggin' herd. We all can't believe this and hang our head in shame as the gods are just not favoring us today. We managed to limp back to the truck bleeding all the way climb in the old 66 Chevy and head for home. Now within about two miles of us leaving there is a what we believe to be a huge eight-point buck standing off about a fifty yards from someone's house right next to the road, eek, we all look at one another as we pass and say oh hell with it. We whip a u-turn up the road about another quarter mile and come back, and lo and behold there is a man standing in the middle of the road with his hand out motioning us to stop. He then says I saw you kids staring down my buck and I suggest you leave with it just tops it. Then lightning quick, my buddy with the .308 whips his rifle out and pops that big old buck right between the eyes, you should've seen the look on that old codger. Now you are most likely thinking BS and you are absolutely right. All but the very last sentence is true. It was late October, early November and I was out in the Jeep with a spotlight, just driving around hunting movement as we said back then, varmints only, don't panic. Stopped to answer the call of nature up on a small rise. Very dark and very quiet. While doing my business I hear a woman scream for help, sounded like she was right next to me. I did get my shoes what I'll tell you that much. Grabbed the spotlight and started looking. Just off to my left, not 20 feet away was a solid black cat. Big cat. I've heard them called Mexican Panthers, but I'm not enough of an expert to know. I mean standing right there looking at me. Got in the Jeep and drove away, light on the cat the whole time. Never even blinked at me. I was turkey hunting, fall gobbler I think if I recall correctly. Anyway. I was walking to my spot in my orange and it just started to tuck it away. For non-hunters, turkey can see color, so the regulation states that hunters need to wear 250 square inches of orange while moving, but you can take it off and just wear regular camo when you get to your spot. In my M-N-G-M-T zone you just need to put some orange somewhere within 15-ish foot of you to let other hunters know you were in the area and to be vigilant. Anyway. I just finish up stowing my orange away and sit down and start using my call. I eventually hear something coming from a ways away and it's calling back to me, another hen, boy turkey gobble, girl turkey make a squeaky chucking noise like York. As the sound gets closer I start to think that it sounds too big to be a turkey, maybe it's a small flock? I go to call again and a shot goes off far to close to me and I shit bricks. I had not seen anyone come in, nor had I seen any orange hanging in a tree to signify someone else was hunting there so I thought I was pretty isolated. Another shot goes off closer and the chucking call starts back up. Now I'm certain of two things, one. There is no turkey, they would have scattered if nearby because of the shots. 2. I have an idiot out here trying to stalk me thinking him a turkey and he's following my calls and shooting blind or seeing me move and assuming him a bird. Either way I'm shitting bricks. I decide to yell out ho butt. I'm not a bird quit shooting and another shot goes off. I'm terrified to so much as wiggle a finger at this point because I can't see this guy but I know he's shooting in my direction and trigger happy. I'm sitting there hollering that I'm a human and contemplating the idea of moving to grab my orange and wave it to signify to this guy that he's shooting at a person when a third shot goes off and I actually hear the BBs hitting shit near me. I hit the deck and laid flat for like two hours, absolutely shitting myself until I was sure they were gone. For any non-hunters out there, this is a known issue within turkey hunting because you need to remove your visibility orange, and because you are calling as an attractant, some assholes will attempt to stalk what they think is a turkey, and end up stalking another hunter, and in their idiot fervor, they shoot at the first thing that moves. Say another hunter itching their nose. A good number of people had died that way and it made me swear off turkey hunting. I've got something pretty freaky. Last summer in Alaska, a buddy of mine was on a fly fishing trip. He is one of my good friends, very honest, big conservationist, and sort of innocent in his demeanor. He wouldn't hurt a fly. Just an all-around great guy. Anyway, he is camping in the backcountry as he is rafting his way down the river back to town. On his raft, and camping with him, were two girls, and one other guy. So one night on this trip they are camping and hanging out at the fire and pretty close to going to sleep, so they are working on putting the fire out. At this point, everyone at camp saw the silhouette of a stocky man and a dog. From what my friend says, this man starts mumbling at them, and they can't tell what he's saying. He is about 20 feet away from my buddy and his campmates. My friend and the other guy go to confront him. He seemed like he was in a panic, and my friend said there was definitely something wrong with him mentally. He starts talking about how he is a messenger from God and how he had the solution. No one knew what he was talking about. He ends up walking his way back to the campsite, to the dismay of the group. The girls are obviously freaked out and scared and told my friend he needed to leave, something about him just felt wrong and troublesome. My friend said his dog was nice. But again, this stranger starts talking about how he is a disciple from God. Then, he pulled out a gaming laptop and started showing my friend some code he wrote, but didn't pay too much attention to. He mentioned, to me that the stranger isn't aggressive, just off-putting. It's worth noting, he only had a small backpack and no serious outdoor gear. He told my friend that he wanders the woods and occasionally heads into town. So eventually, they convince him to leave camp, telling the stranger they were going to bed. He agrees to leave. But three hours later they hear something outside the tent that sounds like a man yelling yo-woo and they come outside to find the campfire roaring again. The whole group stayed up the rest of the night with their bear spray and continued the camping trip downstream the next morning. Every time my friend has told me this story he is visibly disturbed. My friend still wonders what he was doing out there with only a dog, no gear, and miles into the woods. Whack. Walked into a pot-growing operation outside Santa Cruz, California. Took a minute to figure out why there was black tubing running everywhere. Got TF out of there in a hurry. Close encounter with a bear in Colorado. I was visiting and not used to the elevation. If I had had to run, I would have been the easiest meal that Bear ever had. Stumbled into an abandoned homeless camp in a pretty suburban part of Virginia except that his wasn't abandoned after all. Saw seven or eight guys standing back in the woods staring at me. Backed up the way I came in. None of them ever moved. No one said a word. Weird thing is that they were all dressed exactly alike brown jackets, green pants. There's one encounter that really stands out though. I was day hiking the ridges above Raton, New Mexico. I'd been out quite a while when I came across a well-picked-over deer carcass. There weren't any fresh tracks around it, but that's a real clear indication that I'm on some large predator's home turf. Time to go. As I'm climbing down off the ridge, not the way I came up. I see a flat area with an odd round stone formation. Think Stonehenge but the rocks aren't squared off. Each of rocks are all taller than I am, and formed a darn near perfect circle. I'm a little creeped out, but I step in for a closer look. The second I cross through the rocks it was like an electric shock. Immediate goosebumps, the hair on my neck is standing up, and every nerve in my body is screaming at me to be somewhere else right now. I scrambled down the rest of that ridge way out of control. I was lucky not to hurt myself cause at some points I was just jumping without looking where I was going to put my feet. I did not look back once. 20 years on, I still cannot explain my reaction. I'm not given to extreme flights of fancy. I'm not afraid of things that go bump in the night. I'm not a religious person and I don't believe in evil with a capital E but I did that day. Something horrific happened there once. And it will happen again. Near where I go to school there's a massive state park that is rumored to have an old air force research facility in the back corner of it. The front part is visited frequently by hikers, hunters and whatnot. But if you wander into the back of it far enough you find some really creepy stuff from meth heads to cults to estranged citizens. A couple of good ones come to mind. The ROTC program used to do field training out there once a semester and part of it is a land navigation course. That pretty much consisted of the cadets out in the woods by themselves for around five to six hours navigating the land. I've heard from multiple people they'll be walking to their next point or take a break on a tree and find human skeletons or bones. Another one that happened to me when some friends and I were hunting slash exploring one weekend. We were wandering through woods when we came up to a clearing. In the clearing is this old run down and almost abandoned church. We didn't really think anything of it at first but we noticed that there were things off with it. First the cross on the steeple was upside down. Then we noticed there were no windows on the building itself at all. We were about to come out of the clearing to have a look around when the door opened to it and a man in black robes came out for a minute and then went back inside. That's when we booked it out of there. I have tons of stories of that national park. I hate going there every time we go but the stories that come out of it are something else. I was in seventh or eighth grade when me and about 15 of my friends and acquaintances went into the woods by the highway to ensure no one saw that there were kids with airsoft guns and camo shooting each other we trekked deep into the woods no highway car could be heard so we knew it was far enough we eventually came across this old single roomed house the windows were boarded up with wood the door had about five padlocks and the pool out back was green with algae. Grass overgrew any remnants of a driveway through the dense forest. Peeking through the wood boards found broken furniture and the floor caked in dirt. The guy who organized the hangout lived nearby and assured us all that the owners hadn't been at the house for 10 years. They were old and presumed dead. With no concerns, we finally played airsoft for a couple hours. Needing a break, We all rendezvoused back at the house. As we approached we could hear the faint sound of an engine. Nobody could even tell a car was approaching at first because of the thick brush. Sure enough a black car was rolling around the corner. Pulling up to our group the driver lowers the passenger window. An old man driving and an old man behind him. The passenger was an elderly woman with another elderly woman behind her. Everyone in the car was dressed in all black formal clothes. They practically started screaming at us to get away. Literally almost shrieking but it also sounded angry. We tried to apologize for trespassing but then the driver started reaching for something in the glove box. We all ran out of there. Their eyes were so grayish blue it was almost transparent. The hair was whiter than snow. The black tuxedos and dresses were vampiric looking. To this day, I think they were cultists. I'll never know and I'll never forget. My first time hunting in a deer stand by myself as opposed to hunting with my father, I was 14 at the time and very excited to be trusted to hunt alone. Well being the stupid 14-year-old I was, I forgot to bring a flashlight and had to walk about one quarter mile down a trail to the main trail where i would get picked up so there i am walking down this dark trail in the middle of the woods alone i am not scared of the dark but naturally it is very quiet and any normal human would be a touch jumpy well what i didn't know at the time was that turkeys sleep in the top of trees i just assumed they spent their whole life on the ground and only flew when absolutely necessary so imagine my surprise when I walked directly underneath one and feet over my head a full-grown turkey takes off full speed through the top of the tree yelping. I physically jumped in the air and absolutely froze with fear. My 14-year-old brain could not find the directory with turkey listed as a possible outcome so for 10 seconds I was completely frozen in fear trying to figure out what I just heard. Needless to say when I told the story to my dad later he got the biggest laugh out of it and explained to my city boy self that turkeys sleep in treetops. I was in a deer stand one morning as dawn was just starting to break when I heard a turkey hen softly cluck behind me. Then I heard another, and another, and I realized a flock had been roosting 25 yards behind me. I figured I'd at least have some entertainment shortly when they flew down to begin their morning. I heard one hop from one branch to another then a couple fly to different branches too far for them to jump. Of course in the air they have the grace of a B-52 crash landing. I hear more of them flying from one tree to the next, snapping smaller branches while clucking and cooing at one another, then I realize they're headed my way and that there was a good chance I'd have company very soon. I drew in my shoulders to fit behind the tree I climbed as best I could, grabbed my rifle with both hands, and got ready to fight a turkey while balancing on what amounted to a bar stool seat strapped to a tree, 30 feet in the air. All I could think about was being paralyzed, instead of killed, and having to wheel around in an electric wheelchair for the rest of my life, explaining to people that a turkey was responsible for my permanent injuries. Luckily the closest any came was a tom that landed even with me, but ten to my right on a long branch from another tree nearby. When he finally made it down, his beard dragged the ground. One of the biggest gobblers I've ever seen and damn near my last. I live off the base of Pikes Peak in Colorado Springs and during the spring and summer I spend a lot of time in the mountains. By far the scariest thing that has ever happened to me in those mountains was an hour-long lightning storm that ended up putting me and two of my buddies in quite a bit of danger. Five of us came up together in a Jeep Wrangler and a Hummer, and while on our way we got a phone call from someone saying they would meet us. Great. Directions to the spot are given as well as directions to a go-to spot that was very easy to find off a main road before it got woody in case they could not find our camping spot. After a certain amount of time would pass, one of us would leave for the go-to spot and guide the third car back. This is sometimes how we go about things to plan around loss of cell service. Well enough time passed for two of us, not me, to hop in the Hummer and go find our other friend this left three of us to hang out. No problem. Until the storm hit. If you've never been on the front range of Colorado during hail season, then you wouldn't understand how quickly a very devastating storm can form, and oddly enough, break up and calm. Seemingly out of nowhere, a light drizzle, which quickly turned to heavy rain, and then marble-sized hail. Just as quickly as this storm hit us, we realized our biggest problem. The Jeep only has two seats and is filled with camping supplies, a very nice telescope and other odds and ends. There was no room for three people. Period. It was unspoken that we would not leave someone outside in the hail, nor would just one of us go into the Jeep. We were in this. Getting obliterated by rain and annoyed but some decent hail, the electricity started flying. We were in a canyon so thunder was rolling and echoing and sounding as if Zeus just found out I just gave Calliope a poke and never returned her call. The noise was terrifying. We found a blue tarp in the back of the Jeep and was able to tie it to a few trees to at least shelter us from the rain, but it was one particular bolt of lightning that changed my respect for the power of the Rockies. About 50 feet from where we were huddled was a fence that outlined the property of a very large ranch. You couldn't see the ranch by any means but the fence was clear as day, as well as a large pillar that stuck from the ground with a sign that said warning, trespassers may be shot or something similar bolted to it. While we were waiting for the storm to pass, and all the while among dozens of very loud and bright clashes of thunder and lightning, a massive bolt bends around the mountain of which base we were up against, and strikes onto this post, absolutely frying it. It was as if the bolt clung to the post for a solid 2 or 3 long seconds. Needless to say we were horrified because this was considerably less than 100 feet away and this bolt was huge. The most disturbing part of it, was for about 10 seconds after the bolt had gone away, That trespassing sign was glowing molten red and vibrated so loud that we could hear it over the rest of the storm. Our friends in the Hummer returned perhaps 45 minutes after this, and by then the sky was clear and it was 75 degrees again. My father when he was in his late teens used to hunt deer in New Zealand. This would have been the late 60s, early 70s. He was out with some friends hunting in thick bush at night, using a spotlight connected to a battery that they would carry in a backpack. My father saw the shine of deer eyes in the dark, a very easy shot. A direct and clean shot. On approaching the kill a few things stood out to him as slightly unusual, firstly was the horse he had killed. Secondly were the two terrified Maori guys who leapt from their tent next to the dead horse understandably scared for their lives. I think he had to pay them enough to buy a couple of horses to clear the matter up also he only ever hunted during daylight after that i didn't see anything as i sat all afternoon in the deer stand i sat there thinking about the invitation i'd turned down to meet some friends while there was still 10 minutes left before shooting time i'd had enough if i hurried i could still meet my friends I started to get my gear in my pack and then, to my left, I saw it. It had flaming red eyes. It stared at me and didn't move. Then I noticed a second one behind the first, its eyes were also red but not as fiery. My heart skipped a couple of beats. What on earth have I found? Or, what has found me? Then I realized, I had my headlight on and I've left it on the red setting. I hardly saw the deer but the light certainly made their eyes appear devilish. They were a couple of small does who both lived to see another day. I'm not a hunter, but I was hiking in a state park with a friend once about a half mile away from the trail and five miles from the trail start. And we found a woman's blouse, some jeans that were ripped from the zipper to the crotch and a pair of underwear. It all looked super dirty, like it had been there for a really long time. It really freaked me out, especially because it wasn't the type of clothes you would wear for a couple mile hike. We reported it to the ranger station and they said they would check it out but I don't know if they ever did. When I got home I looked for any crimes in that area for the past couple years but I couldn't find anything. I haven't been in the woods without a group since. I hit a deer once with my car and killed it. I was driving at around 4 AM, when I was driving over a hill and there it was, what looked to be like grazing in the middle of the road. I didn't have time to hit the brake. I did a little prayer slash ceremony for it, said I was sorry, picked up the bloody pieces of my bumper, and went on my way. Took me weeks to get over that. I didn't want to get too close to it because I've heard stories of zombie deer jumping and kicking one last time to leave us both on the side of the road. I was traveling across the state of Texas the day after Christmas, and have no hunting experience. When I got to my job at Taco Bell, my co-workers made fun of me that I didn't field dress it and bring it along so they could have deer jerky. The memory stuck with me. The thing that really helped was hearing the story of the Taoist farmer. I came to conclusion that it's very possible if I hadn't have hit it, then someone else could have hit it, and may have been seriously injured. I drifter stitched my bumper back together and now it looks like Frankenstein.